welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of People, Places, Planet Pod. My name is Dominic Chicatano, and I'm a research associate here at the Environmental Law Institute. As the Environmental Protection Agency prepares to celebrate its 50th anniversary in December 2020, ELI, with the support of Alston and Bird, is launching a new oral history project and podcast series entitled The General Counsel's Opinions, Conversations with the Attorneys Who Have Led EPA's Office of General Counsel. Our goal is to document the history of the OGC through conversations with the 12 general counsels. Today I'm here with Kevin Minoli a current Alston and Bird partner who was an attorney in EPA's OGC for 18 years before joining his firm. From January 2017 to January 2018, Kevin had the opportunity to lead the OGC as the EPA's acting general counsel. During that time, Kevin says he would often look at the list of general counsels on the EPA's website and wonder what the time leading the office was like for each of them. The General Counsel's Opinions podcast series is a chance for Kevin and all of our listeners to hear firsthand accounts of these experiences. Kevin will be joining us throughout the series each time for a conversation with the former EPA GC. On today's episode, Kevin speaks with Avi Garbo, who is the longest serving General Counsel in EPA's history, serving from August 2013 to January 2017. Avi's service as EPA General Counsel occurred during the most advanced efforts of the federal government to address climate change and Avi played important roles in developing, implementing, and defending key domestic and international climate change strategies. Avi is a nationally recognized environmental advocate, lawyer, and leader. He currently serves as Patagonia's environmental advocate, helping to sharpen and strengthen the company's voice and vision on environmental and conservation issues. Thank you to Kevin and Avi for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I want to share with folks that for most of Avi's tenure, I had the privilege of serving as his principal deputy general counsel. And we're going to be asking each of the general counsels that we speak with the same 12 questions. And we're going to start with uh, what led you to becoming EPA's general counsel? So I had, a, a, I guess, a very fortunate path to becoming the general counsel at EPA. I, I was, Kevin, as you know. Uh, a, a career agency lawyer back in the 90s. And so uh, for many years out of law school, I, I had the pleasure of working um, with many of our and your colleagues and others in the enforcement office in the 90s. And so in many ways, when I left government in 2002, EPA was uh, very much kind of in my heart, in my, my uh, agency home, so to speak. When the Obama administration began, I was certainly eager to see if there was an opportunity for me to serve. And when I made those inquiries, it was also clear to me that of all the places that I might be fortunate enough to land, coming back to EPA really was my number one priority. And so um, as luck would have it, I was uh, tapped to be the deputy general counsel at the beginning of the Obama administration. And further, as luck would have it, I found out uh, soon thereafter that my boss and my um, later predecessor, Scott Fulton, um, would be the general counsel. Scott was somebody that I had known and worked with uh, when I first began at the agency uh, in the early 1990s. So I had 
um, a great mentor, as someone to uh, work with and learn from uh, in the years that led up to the second term. And, and uh, when Scott announced that he was going to be leaving the agency towards the end of the first term of the Obama administration, I certainly uh, let him and others know I'd be uh, honored and interested to be considered by the president for that post and was uh, thrilled to get that nod by the White House and even more thrilled to be confirmed by the Senate. So what was it like? So it, it was um, uh, both familiar and unfamiliar. It was familiar to me in the sense that I knew the agency. Um, I knew the people uh, because, again, I had spent prior the, the past four years to that as the deputy general counsel. So um, I knew a lot of the issues that were going on. But it was unfamiliar because I think there are aspects of serving as general counsel, um, and you know a lot of this from your time in the acting capacity there, um, that are just larger than any one role at the deputy level. Um, and I, I also uh, found um, both challenging and exhilarating uh, bridging that gap between the political leadership at the agency and uh, the career staff. I, I think there was uh, tremendous support and alignment between the two at the time that I was there, and that was, uh, I think, fortunate in many respects. Uh, but also kind of understanding the role that you had in the administration and also uh, the responsibility uh, and the honor to lead the office of, of predominantly career folks um, I, I found both a challenge, but something I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And then being able to see every issue at the agency. It's one of the few positions at EPA, aside from the administrator and the deputy administrator, that you have the opportunity to dive into everything from soup to nuts at the agency. So everything substantively that we were dealing with. Uh, in terms of the, the many media of the environment and, and all of the regs uh, under development, but also uh, really at every phase, the beginning of the phase of the regulatory development to the end when things are challenged. And then also you get to deal with the, the inner workings of the bureaucracy. It is uh, at its core uh, an agency or a building of roughly 15,000 or so people and like any business, if you are the general counsel or working in a legal capacity there, um, there's a lot that goes on in terms of ensuring that the, the operations run smoothly so that the agency can most effectively carry out its mission. So you mentioned that, that you thoroughly enjoyed it, but did you have fun? I mean, these are it's an incredibly difficult job, an incredibly demanding job. Were you able to have fun while you did it? Oh, absolutely. But but. I don't want to suggest that every day was fun um, or every part of every day was fun. It wasn't. Um, and candidly, it shouldn't be. I think I would probably look askance if anybody told me genuinely that, um, you know, every day kind of met that that factor. But, but it was fun in many respects. I mean, it was fun because uh, the people are fantastic there. The, the people at that agency and uh, I can speak most uh, kind of specifically about the people in that office of general counsel um, are extraordinary lawyers, extraordinary uh, professionals, public servants, and just uh, people that you would like to get to know. And so a lot of the fun aspects of it were to be able to share that experience 
um, with those folks. Similarly, I had uh, a great deal of fun at times with our political team. Um, working under Administrator Gina McCarthy um, was um, truly a treat just to get to see uh, how she led the agency and uh, sifted through problems and you know the immense responsibilities and burdens that she had uh, at that level. So, so there was a lot that was fun. It was also fun, I, I would say, Kevin, uh, to be part of an administration that I felt was trying to advance strong environmental protection. That's why I was there. We weren't, I think, and I can speak for many of my colleagues, uh, at least in the political echelons there, we weren't there to be part of any administration. We were there to be part of the Obama administration precisely because we felt that it was committed to um, uh, the mission of EPA. Looking back, what would you say your biggest challenge was? I, I think the... The biggest challenge for me, again, reflecting on the fact that the position both works with the career staff uh, and the, the legal team as well as the political leadership, was being able to both understand myself and make sure that our colleagues understood that legal considerations were not always the main driver for a policy outcome. I think oftentimes, certainly as lawyers, you, you are trained to identify what you think is the uh, least risky legal path. And oftentimes there is a, a related assumption that because you have done so, that's the right path to go on. And as you and, and anybody who's uh, worked at the agency knows, um, our laws aren't really set up that way. There are a variety of factors that ought to come into play when it comes to determining uh, the right the right levels of standards and and how you ought to balance the certainties and uncertainties of the science uh, and any information gaps that you may have. So you know the challenge was to I think make sure that, the administrator and others who were making significant policy decisions fully understood the legal risks, but weren't, if you will, dominated by them. So it's interesting to me that you identified that as, as your biggest challenge in, in reflecting upon your answer to the prior question about wanting to work in this particular administration because what it stood for and what its environmental direction was. Did you ever see that those two things, that the biggest challenge was was partly to help people below you understand when the administration made a decision that wasn't uh, what they had recommended or what they felt was the most defensible or the most environmentally uh, friendly approach. I, I don't want to overstate that too much. The, the fact is, is that the, the folks in the Office of General Counsel certainly those that have been there a long time, really did understand the difference between, for example, legal advice and, and, and policy outcomes. And I think that um, most folks with experience well understood that there was not always a linear path between what a lawyer would say um, is the, the most defensible uh, uh, kind of landing point, if you will, versus where the final regulation ended up. 
Um, I, I think you know our our biggest concern and and the challenge I think we met very well during that time was making sure that the analysis and that the voice of the Office of General Counsel was heard with clarity um, and decisiveness by the administrator and those assistant administrators or regional administrators to whom we were providing legal counsel. Um, and, and that no decision, I think, was made without the thorough, thorough vetting of that from a legal standpoint and without a, a back and forth with not only myself as the general counsel, but uh, with you and others at the deputy general counsel level, and more importantly, with the uh, career staff who, at the end of the day, are the ones that have the greatest amount of uh, environmental law experience um, in that building. Looking back, uh, can you isolate what would be your best day and then what would be your worst day of the time that you were serving? Um, I had a number of best days. It's like asking me what's my favorite album. Um, I've got a, a top 10 list, but I can't get it down beyond that. I, I think, um, you know, among the best days were uh, any time that we could celebrate um, an accomplishment. One of the things that I did when I was there was to send out on a monthly basis what we called a shout out. And it was uh, an email that we would send to the entire Office of General Counsel uh, primarily to, to uh, congratulate folks on, on things that had been accomplished uh, and, and to not necessarily celebrate um, uh, kind of every milestone, but to make sure that everybody in the office had a sense of the tremendous work that was going on. And, and so working through those emails and having the opportunity to hit send to the office and share what I could see in my chair as the general counsel with uh, folks in that office who didn't have the same visibility to one another. I, I always thought that that was a, a really wonderful thing that I could be a part of every, every month. Um, there were always the opportunities to kind of celebrate and, and enjoy the camaraderie of the office. I'll tell you that as much as I didn't like retirement events uh, and, and anybody who occupies that office uh, attends a, a number of those, being able to be part of the celebration of, of people who have devoted their lives to public service and to be able to reflect back on what they did, that, those were also special moments. Uh, and then there were the, the, the times uh, like the, the finalization of the Clean Power Plan, which was the culmination of not just a tremendous effort amongst our lawyers and the air office and others in that agency and, and the administration, um, but, but to be able to say that you were a very small part of a big effort to address a global problem, that was a special day. And how about the flip side, the most challenging or, or what I would describe as what you would describe as the worst day uh, on the job? Well, that that sadly, I, I, I do have probably more of a, a, a singular um, recollection. I mean, one of one of the, the things that anybody who's in law writ large understands um, is that there are cer certain things out of your control. Uh, and that in legal proceedings, um, as best you can present your case and your arguments, um, there are times when courts make decisions that will either baffle you um, or you think were, um, were in error, but that's the system. And so I, I uh, have a, a specific and 
um, kind of sad recollection of uh, being in a discussion uh, at the time uh, with uh, the leadership of the agency uh, to continue to work on the Flint, Michigan crisis. And that was where we were trying to make sure that the public health uh, issues stemming from the lead in the drinking water um, was appropriately dealt with given all of the um, uh, significant concerns there and being able uh, and being handed a note um, in the midst of those discussions that the Supreme Court had in an unprecedented manner stayed the implementation of the Clean Power Plan. The, the juxtaposition of working to protect the health of the citizens of Flint and at the same time uh, being told that uh, the greatest effort, at least that we had made to date in the federal government to stem the rising temperatures and climate change was, was then uh, stayed by the Supreme Court. That, that is, a, I think, a moment that I felt very bad about and considered certainly uh, among the most challenging uh, episodes that I can recall. Do you feel it personally when you have a decision like that from a court or is it more professional? Oh, it's both. I, I think um, it, it's, well, it, it, it was hard for me to separate the personal from the professional. I think in part because for me and for many folks there, it wasn't just a job, it was, uh, as they say, a calling. I mean, this was something, uh, working at that agency was the, uh, the combination of my personal and professional um, interests and aspirations. And so I was, uh, every, every investment that I made professionally there in that office was I think a, a personal investment made too, and uh, you know, so I cared about the outcome, and I and I also got to see, unlike the folks outside the the agency, all of the work that went into that regulation, uh, and I understood what it meant for not just the people in the building, but I think the people around the country, and to see or hear of that decision, it, it certainly stung both at a professional and personal level. Other than uh, Supreme Court decisions, what would you wish had gone differently during your time? So what was not a surprise to me, and I think this is in part because I had the pleasure of spending a couple years in the deputy capacity there was the amount of times that the agency was sued. And every time they did, at least in my judgment, something of uh, major consequence, there tended to be lawsuits for those who thought we didn't go far enough and lawsuits by those who felt we went too far. And, and I think there was um, a very unfortunate uh, political element to many of those lawsuits. Many, I thought, were um, both Ill, ill-informed and, and unfounded, uh, but nevertheless, it's part of the system that, that we were dealing with. But, you know, if you'd asked me what could I change or what, what do I wish didn't happen um, while I was there, and this would go for, I think, anybody, no matter what the administration is, I wish uh, that there was uh, less politics in litigation. I wish that, that folks focused more on the science. I wish that folks focused more on the rule of law. Um, I think that it's... Uh, it would provide a, a greater deal of certainty uh, in certain ways. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I, I kind of found the 
the split between red states and blue states when it came to attorneys general um, uh, really disappointing because I felt, at least certainly while I was there, um, I felt that a lot of the lawsuits were um, more politically motivated and in many ways uh, a disservice to the people of those states. What are you most proud of from your time as general counsel? Uh, I'm, I'm proud of the accomplishments uh, of uh, the administration, um, and uh, including those that I had, frankly, um, little to nothing to do with. Um, There's many things that I, I, I felt a uh, sense of pride being a part of the Obama administration uh, and, and having contributed again, in very small ways or as best I could. Uh, I was proud to have uh, the chance to work for and under Gina McCarthy and alongside so many talented people uh, at the political levels. But I was probably most proud of the ways in which I got to know and respect and help to lift up the voice of the career ranks at the agency. I've got, as you know, Kevin, and, and you feel the same, I'm sure, um, a tremendous amount of respect for the talent and service of the folks there and um, the ability to bring, you know, to bridge that gap again between a political administration and career expertise. I think is one of the best ways to help any administration, frankly, fulfill its priorities, but also to adhere to um, the rich tradition and, and mission of, of EPA. So uh, when I think back on the years that I had there, um, I probably think most about um, the advice that, that uh, few got to hear um, but I was kind of proud and privileged enough to spend time uh, hearing myself from the in-house lawyers. Before I ask you a couple of questions looking forward into the future, is there anything that I haven't asked about your time as general counsel that you'd like to speak to? I, I guess the only other thing that I would think about, um, and this just goes back to being part of a larger administration, I think for most folks in the office of general counsel, the majority of your work is either done with your in-house clients at the agency um, or working very closely in certain respects with um, our colleagues at the Justice Department when things get litigated. One of the aspects of uh, working as general counsel that I really did enjoy was getting to know and work with um, kind of colleagues at various other agencies. So the ability to work with the general counsel at the Department of Energy or the solicitor at the Department of Interior or the GC at the Department of Ag and, and, and others, and also to work with, uh, I think, the tremendous folks, the White House Council and others in the White House. That was an extraordinarily enriching opportunity and experience for me because uh, I had the chance to, um, in effect, represent the, the views and legal analysis of our colleagues in the Office of General Counsel and, and provide, I think, a uh, a broader perspective to decisions that were going on outside the agency's building. So looking now at what you're doing today, tell us a little bit about what life has been like after your time as general counsel and, and what are you up to? So when I left the position at the, in fact, the last day of the Obama administration, I, I took a couple of weeks off and then 
soon joined a, a large international law firm uh, based in the D.C. office and, and uh, was able to co-chair its environmental practice. I spent about two years uh, in private practice and, and enjoyed it, had uh, wonderful colleagues, but found my way to, uh, for me, a, a remarkable opportunity and position, uh, which is where I currently serve as Patagonia's environmental advocate. It's a, a place where uh, in many ways, the, the lines between kind of uh, my, my personal ambitions and my professional aspirations um, are, are almost invisible. Uh, it's a, a phenomenal company, uh, in fact, very few like it, whose mission statement is to be in business to save the home planet. And to be able to work in the private sector at a company whose sole request of you is to advocate for the planet that you love and that you call home, um, that's really a privilege. And to do it with a, a group of, uh, of people at Patagonia um, who are uh, interesting, smart, and committed in many ways, Kevin, like the folks that we had the pleasure of working with in the Office of General Counsel, um, that's just a phenomenal opportunity for me. At some point in the future, uh, we're going to have number 13, the 13th person that's going to fill the role of general counsel. What advice would you have for that person as they prepare and as they, as they take over uh, at some point? I guess the, the number one piece of advice uh, that I would give is to um, listen to the career staff. Uh, it's not that you need to simply be uh, an empty you know, vessel or channel for that, uh, and you have a role there as general counsel to um, agree, to disagree, to uh, engage in what I think would be um, the rightful uh, kind of tug and pull or dialogue on the advice. Um, and you may ultimately end up uh, as the head of that office coming to a different legal conclusion and the administrator ought to have uh, your own views on that. But the notion of ever speaking um, to the administrator and providing advice without assuming you had the opportunity to do so, first conferring uh, with your staff in the Office of General Counsel, I think does a grave disservice uh, to the administrator and certainly um, to the agency as a whole. So. If anybody were to ask me, you know, the number one thing to do, um, it would be to make sure that you are inviting the advice of the experts in that office. And for EPA, we're, we started this podcast series because it's leading up to the 50th anniversary of EPA in December of 2020. What do you look at when you look into the future? What do you see for the next 50 years for EPA building on what it's accomplished so far? So uh, my hope is that we are um, soon to reach a turning point when it comes to kind of the arc of politics for environmental issues. And I, I think it's unfortunate that uh, EPA has uh, found itself to be in, in the fulcrum of, of that divide. There was a time uh, in the early 90s when um, both political parties uh, certainly had their green wings and, and environmental bona fides. Uh, and, and we all know, of course, that the agency was uh, uh, kind of the legislation for the agency was signed by a Republican president. Most of our major environmental laws 
or signed by either Republican presidents or passed by extreme majorities, both in the House and the Senate, that's not the case anymore. And I think it has become more and more difficult for the agency to um, escape uh, the, the problems of the politics that surround it. Um, and I think this, this, um, this has made um, you know, the science uh, a little bit more difficult to communicate to folks. Um, this has uh, presented greater challenges for the very health protections that I think the agency is best suited to confer under the laws. And, and my hope, certainly going forward, is that the American people will eventually see through this and see the agency for what it is, which is a guardian of the science, um, uh, an exemplar of, of the environmental rule of law, and true to its mission to protect the environment and public health of the American people. So I, I see a continuing um, vitality there, that the need for this agency um, is uh, as great as it ever was. Uh, I think it is wrong to suggest, as some do, that um, because we have made so much progress in this country and environmental uh, pollution, that the needs are somehow less or the problems are somehow um, easier to overcome. Um, we've got environmental justice and inequities around this country that are in some communities as grave as they've ever been. And I think the the agency has an important role to play there. So, you know, my, my hope as we go forward is that um, the morale at the agency is restored and rebuilt, um, that the confidence that the American people have in it um, is uh, re restored and if not remains high as it ought to be, uh, and that we kind of uh, clear away this, this cloud of politics and let the science shine a little bit. With that, Avi, thank you so much for your time today. I'd like to thank uh, all the folks here at ELI who, has made, who have made this possible. To our listeners, be on the lookout for another episode of the General Counsel's Opinion Series. Thanks again to Kevin, Avi, and to our podcast production team. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.